This is Jim English, and welcome to my podcast. I appreciate you listening. This is called The Who Gives a Shit Files, and what we're going to be talking about today is Chernobyl. And Chernobyl is a story of lack of cooperation, secrecy, deceit, ineptitude, but ultimately rejuvenation. In 1957, this is where our story starts, with the International Atomic Energy Agency, which President Eisenhower started. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to find a peaceful utilization for atomic energy. Let's face it, Ike was sick as hell of war. He was involved in World War I. In World War II, he had millions of people sent on the battlefield and died defeating Hitler and Germany in World War II. He and the rest of the world had witnessed the awesome and terrible power of the atomic bomb and what it did to Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So once again, they were looking for a peaceful use with atomic energy. And pretty much the whole world embraced this concept, except for one glaring exception, and that was the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union at the time was communistic, a closed society. They were shrouded in secrecy. They only allowed a certain amount of tourists to, came in, to come into their country, and they watched them very closely. They didn't want them wandering around the country. They were only allowed in certain areas. And with a closed society like this, there's no way in hell they wanted somebody to take a look at their nuclear arsenal or tell them how to build a nuclear reactor. So they fought it the entire way. So Chernobyl was built in 1972. That's when it was started and it was designed to supply Ukraine and other parts of the Soviet Union with electricity. And they did not get any help from the Atomic Energy Commission at the time. So in February of 1986, the Soviet officials questioned, were questioned about the safety by the commission of Chernobyl. And the Soviets said, and I quote, we're going to have one accident every 10,000 years in our nuclear reactors because that's how well designed they are and that's how safe they are. Well, April 26th, was that one accident in 10 years. So two months after the Soviets said that, their, that Chernobyl was safe, what occurred was the worst nuclear accident in world history. And what they were doing is they were doing a, new, a routine exercise testing the emergency cooling system of the reactor. And what they did is they shut down all four reactors at the same time, which was a very stupid thing to do. When you're testing a reactor, you need to leave another one on to prevent steam buildup during a test. And so what happened is the blithering Soviets didn't realize this. Steam built up in reactor four and it exploded in minutes. Now, if the Atomic Energy Commission was involved in this, this nuclear disaster would never have happened because they knew this. Another explosion happened about a minute later, and it blew the roof off Reactor 4. And by the way, that's a thousand tons of roof. Chunks of radioactive debris shot out 
up to five miles in all directions. And that had a devastating effect on the environment, but that wasn't the worst part of it. Plumes of radiation were spewed into the atmosphere. As a matter of fact, the radiation admitted at Chernobyl was 400 times greater than that at Hiroshima. A radioactive cloud was blown all over northern Europe by the spring westerly winds. The roof on Reactor 3 caught on fire from the debris. 31 firefighters that were unprotected went up and fought the blaze because at this point, this was in the initial stages of the accident, they didn't realize uh, the level of radiation that was linking, leaking. And all but three of these firefighters died. Now, the people at Chernobyl, they couldn't put out the fire, so they called Gorbachev, Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the general secretary of the Communist Party, he was head of the USSR, and, and he sent out the Red Army to help put out the fire. But there was no mention of any radiation. And being the good Soviet that he is, he didn't tell anybody that they had a problem. And it took several hours, really, for the Soviets to realize that radiation was being emitted into the environment. So there was a city that was close by, it's called Pripyat, and they heard the sirens and they saw some of the fires because they were fairly close by to Chernobyl, but they didn't think anything of it. It was one in the morning, so they went back to sleep. Now, the next thing that happened is something out of an apocalyptic movie, is the police, the red police, and the Red Army showed up to the city with gas masks and, and blaring alarms, and they knocked on doors and told everybody they had 50 minutes to get out. Can you imagine what a nightmare that would be if somebody with a gas mask shows up at your door and says you got 50 minutes to leave? And they were also instructed to leave their pets. Part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is I saw the Chernobyl uh, series on HBO, which was highly acclaimed. It's a really good depiction of the dramatic events that happened during and after the, the, uh, the accident. But one thing that really struck me being a dog lover is that the Soviet army was tasked with a distasteful job of eliminating all the pets that were left behind and they shot him. And there's this one scene where a kid, he's an 18 year old Soviet soldier, stumbles upon a dog, a mother dog, nursing puppies. And it had been a couple days since the puppies and the dog had eaten. They were looked really malnourished and it was a very sad situation. And the hopeful mother looked up at the soldier thinking that, wow, she's going to be rescued, but that's not the case. The dogs were shot. I got to tell you, it was a gut-wrenching moment. And I mean, you may as well have torn my heart out of my chest. I felt so bad. So anyways, back at the city, there was no explanation given as to why they had to evacuate. You're just out of here and you do what you said. And they also evacuated the surrounding areas. There was a total of about 115,000 evacuees that were, that were bussed out. 
and the Soviet leadership realized that they had a big problem. So they huddled about what to do about this because they realized then that, that radiation was being emitted all over Europe. And what did the moronic, stupid Soviets decide they were going to do about this and how they were going to communicate it? They weren't. They just weren't going to say anything. So they were hoping that nobody would notice. <laughs> so there is radiation being wafted all over Europe through Germany, Scandinavia, all the way to Canada. There were elevated radiation levels, and they thought that nobody would notice. Bunch of idiots. So needless to say, this strategy of just ignoring it didn't work because it was found out about it. Now, the first people that found out about it were actually at Forsmark, Sweden. And there was a nuclear power plant there at Forsmark, Sweden. On April 28, two days after the Chernobyl accident, a power plant employee walked by a meter that measured radioactivity and found elevated levels on his shoes. And he told his supervisor, and then it was discovered that all of the employees from the nuclear power plant had elevated radiation levels on their shoes. So the Swedes sounded the alarm and they did a thorough examination of their nuclear power plant and found no leaks. And what was interesting about this is, you know, why on their shoes? And I'll tell you why. It's because when the cloud, the radiation cloud went over Sweden, it started raining. And the rain came down and covered the soil, the Swedish soil, with radiation. And you've heard of acid rain? Well, this is radiation rain. But the Swedes, who, by the way, had followed the Atomic Energy Commission, got them involved in safety checks for their power plant, found no leaks at all. And all indications were showing that it was coming from Chernobyl, which was about a thousand kilometers away from Forsmark, Sweden. So the Swedes contacted the Soviet embassy and with some data, and they confronted them saying, you know, do you have a problem at Chernobyl? And the Swedes said, yet, which is no in Russian. So the Swedish scientists weren't buying it. They did a deeper dive and they found out conclusively that the radiation was coming from, from Chernobyl. And they still tried to deny it. They still tried to deny the data. And so what they did is they threatened to go to the Atomic Energy Commission and they finally admitted it. Now, this created a media hailstorm all over the world. The world was horrified that the Soviets had let Chernobyl blow up and let radiation go all over the world, all over Europe, sorry, not all over the world, but all over Europe and as far west as Canada. And they didn't tell anybody. And they were castigated in the media. Now, what they did is they decided, the Soviets decided, well, now the world finds out about it, but we're not going to tell our citizens. Are you kidding me? 
So the, the, the Soviet Union felt they had such a tight grip on their society that the people of the Soviet Union wouldn't find out about this, and, which was dumb. And finally, they had to tell them that there was an issue with the accident. They severely downplayed it, but nonetheless, they did admit it. And Mikhail Gorbachev admitted years later that the Chernobyl disaster was one of the biggest nails in the coffin of the Soviet Union. It was one of the biggest reasons that the dissolution of the Soviet Union occurred in 1991. Now, Chernobyl has been synonymous with nuclear disaster, and well so. So the plants and trees within five miles of the of Chernobyl, of the explosion, turn red from radiation poisoning, all the plants and trees. And there's some irony there because what you have is you have the red, the red police, which is the Soviet police. You have the red army, which is the Soviet army. And now you have the red forest, which is the Soviet forest. All insects and spiders, butterflies were immediately killed. All the livestock was visibly sick and they were rounded up and they were slaughtered because they didn't want them eating the contaminated carcasses of animals. A thousand square miles of land was cordoned off. Now, just for perspective, a thousand square miles is about equal to the amount of land in Orange County, California and Long Beach combined, and they called the exclusion zone. They wouldn't allow anybody in there and for damn good reason, Okay, because for uh, the scientists estimated for 20,000 years, so we're not talking 200 or 2,000, we're talking 20,000 years, 20 centuries. For 20 centuries, there would be uh, radiation in the ground. The contamination would stay there for that period of time. So the... Um, the number of deaths were, is just a matter of speculation. We know about the, the 28 uh, brave firefighters who fought the fire and died immediately after that. But there was speculation of how many people would die from cancer, radiation diseases like thyroid cancer, leukemia, and all the other deaths associated, all the other diseases associated with radiation. And the Soviets estimated there'd be 4,000. Now, who the hell's going to believe the associates? They're a bunch of damn liars. Now, Greenpeace said there's going to be 120,000. And, you know, Greenpeace has got their own agenda. And that seems like a big exaggeration, too. But nonetheless, it's very difficult to quantify. But we do know that the, the Soviets really screwed up. And this whole thing could have been averted if they had just joined the atomic energy commission and really had sought their help to ensure the safety of Chernobyl, but they didn't. And there's a, at this point in the podcast, I wanted to touch on something that's, that's relevant. I want to differentiate because it affects the environment. I want to differentiate between the Chernobyl disaster and the bomb that was dropped, that was dropped on Hiroshima. Now the explosion at Chernobyl 
was was steam generated and all that debris caused incredible damage to the environment but at Hiroshima it was a nuclear bomb that was dropped it had a vaporizing effect destroying everything and that wasn't the case at Hiroshima at, uh, at Chernobyl now another side note when I was researching the podcast that I found interesting is that only 3% of the nuclear fission was detonated in the bomb at Hiroshima and it caused all that damage in Hiroshima. Can you imagine what would have happened if the other 97% of the nuclear fusion had been ignited? The, the damage would have been like exponentially worse. But the, the point is that even though there was incredible radiation damage, there were plants and animals that did survive. The, the exclusion zone was not vaporized. It was just contaminated. And we did have some animals and the plants that were able to continue to exist after the accident. Now what happened in ensuing years is absolutely astounding and nobody, I repeat, nobody could have imagined what happened. So from 1987 to 1990, helicopters were flying over the exclusion zone because they wanted to make sure that no humans went back to get their stuff or to see what was going on. You know, people are stupid and they could have gone back to investigate. So they policed it very carefully. Now, the Red Forest was plowed, it was bulldozed, and all the ground was churned up. And what they noticed there about 1989 is that plants were starting to grow. Grass was growing, and it was the, the, the environment was starting to rebound a little bit. And then by you know, 1990, 1991, there started to be a lot of grass that was growing and a lot of plants and herbivores return. Now, first there were the, the little herbivores like, you know, rabbits and, and, and foxes and rodents. There were rodents that were, started showing up and rats. And um, then they noticed that there were wild boars and foxes were seen, which was kind of interesting because the 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 environment was starting to revitalize itself. I mean, who would have thought? And then something really incredible happened. There's a species of bison in Europe called, appropriately enough, the European bison, which was on the verge of extinction in 1986, uh, prior to the accident at Chernobyl. And they started showing up in significant numbers in the exclusion zone. I mean, who would have thought of that? And then with the advent of the herbivore showing up, the large carnivore sh started showing up. We're talking bears and wolves started moving in and they did a study in 2000, uh, year 2000 about the wolves and they found that the wolves were more plentiful in the exclusion zone than they were in all the other areas of the USSR where there's a nature preserve. Now keep in mind that these animals are starting to exist and starting to grow in a totally contaminated area that will be contaminated 
for another 20,000 years. Now, biologists all over the world were astounded. I mean, they started taking notice. And a couple of them got together and said, well, if the, if the European bison can grow and exist, let's try an experiment. So what they did is they took a, a horse, a pony, that's called the Przewalski pony, and it was totally extinct in the wild, and it only existed in captivity. And what they did is they put 36 of them in the exclusion zone. And they found out in 10 years, the number doubled. And this is the only place in the world, and by the way, I saw pictures of these ponies, and they're really cool looking. They're like a rust color. They look like they're five to seven feet high. Beautiful animal, um, playful. You see them playing with each other and and rolling in the grass. They're really a cool animal. And nowhere else can they be seen in the wild. So what happened is the scientists started putting cameras in all over the exclusion zone. And what they found is they found in the water there were, in the rivers, fish were teeming and otters were, were existing and thriving. The skies were filled with, with owls and eagles and hawks and sparrows and crows. And on the ground, there were some other animals that showed up like martens and minks, which are fairly rare in the area. And we are talking about a polluted area that is rife with radiation that is turning into a vibrant ecosystem bursting with vitality. I mean, who would have thought? And another thing that I found interesting too is that there's guards around the perimeter and they still don't let people in without permission. And they want to make sure there's no poaching because there are a lot of animals here and you know you don't want to shoot an animal from this area and eat it because they're contaminated. They're definitely contaminated. And the offspring of the dogs that escaped the Red Army and the killing of the pets started, started showing up and following the guards around and the guards would feed them. They wouldn't pet them, but they would feed them. Now, I have to tell you that this is astounding, that in an environment saturated with radiation is thriving. This is a testimonial to the resilience of Mother Nature and the fact that it can regenerate itself, rejuvenate itself, in spite of the radiation that is present in the soil. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast.